This is bad mentality. I am Rodney Glover. I'm your host. So we're going to tell you a little bit about ourselves. Hello, 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 and welcome to Dad Mentality. I'm your host, Rodney Glover, a.k.a. The Beast One. Welcome, everybody. We have a great show ahead of ahead of us. We have a guest with us today. We actually have an, a guest host as well. Um, you know, I don't do it by myself, but my man, Al Bans, unfortunately, had a family event that he had to attend. We are recording uh, three days after our first recording because, you know, Easter Sunday is coming this Sunday. So we decided to record a little bit early, but we brought in our guest host of honor who always helps us out. My man, Maddie Ice. How you doing, Maddie? Man, I'm doing awesome. I'm glad to be here as usual. Well, I'm glad to have you here. And uh, once again, you know, I got my best friend from childhood who's been, you know, we've been 10 toes deep since day one. My man, Vance Robs, a.k.a. Coach. How you doing, Coach? Yeah, it was going on, y'all. How y'all doing today? Man, it's another great day. Also, we got here producer Ev holding it down for us. Another, another episode in the books. He did a great job in the first episode. I'm happy to have him here. How you doing, producer Ev? I'm doing all right. How you doing? Man, living life, brother. Living life. So, fellas, I've been uh, excited. I knew when we got ready to start season two that uh, one of the things that we always talk about mental health and how important it is to take care of yourself, that I wanted to get a mental health specialist on the show. And uh, I reached out to my wife, uh, who used to work in that type of uh, background for the Air Force. And she told me, I got a perfect person for you. So she put me in contact with this gentleman. He is a drug and mental health specialist. He is from North Carolina. He also uh, went to the University of the Air Force. He's currently writing a book that we're all going to support called Things We Don't Talk About, which is exactly the things we try to talk about here. So he's going to be a perfect fit. His name is Jamel Garrett. What's up, Jamel? How you doing, sir? What's going on, sir? What's going on, gentlemen? How y'all feeling tonight? Doing great. Thank you. Thank you. Doing well, well, man. How are you? Good, good. Hey, I'm blessed. Can't complain. Can't complain. I'm glad you glad you're here. I mean, we got plenty of questions for you. So we're gonna go ahead and start with our Twitch mental health check-in. That's something that we do every week, and we feel that it is very important to talk about. I know for me in advance, we just did one three days ago, so it's probably not gonna be too different. But you know, we got you here, Matt, to start us off. How would you start us off, Matt? It's been a while since you did your check-in. Tell us how you going. How you feeling? Oh. Uh-huh. This week I'm probably at about eight, eight and a half, man. Um, feeling good, man. New month started the month off right. Um, been in the gym, got in the gym today. Got back to walking, man. Um, doing some things in the business. So that make me um, look bad already. I've been yeah. in the gym. That's what you're doing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We was at the gym today, man. Been back out on my walks. Wanted to start the month off right. Um, getting geared up for the um new um season you know what i'm saying out on the truck so getting my permits and stuff back together so i'm gonna say eight and a half man you know we went to um church on sunday so feeling good feeling good excellent that's a great start hey real quick go ahead and plug uh your channel so i've been i know i became i follow you and subscribe to you on your channels but go ahead and plug them in you know 
give a little, oh. little bit about what you talk about all that. So uh, my YouTube channel is called um, Ice Cold Crypto, the Diversified Hustler. So um, I talk about um, different investments in the cryptocurrency space. Well, you know, mainly talk about Bitcoin, but then I talk about some DeFi projects that I'm in um, that you can earn passive income in um, and just um, but mostly um, Bitcoin and, and, and DeFi currently. Um, but Maddie, I, but um, Maddie Ice is my ice cream company. But as far as my um, YouTube channel, it is um, Ice Cold Crypto, the Diversified Hustler. OK, excellent. Um I know I know I've been keeping up with uh, buying Bitcoin and I think I'm up like thirty, forty dollars right now. So, you know, right now you winning in that uh that little uh bet you had with us at the beginning <laughs> of the year. We'll see how that goes. Uh Vance, you you wanna uh, give an update on your if anything changed? I mean it, it, it it's going up with the market right now, but I mean the market's rising too. So uh I ain't convinced yet. It's, Man, it's been it's, it's been a little decoupled from the market. The market actually, stock market's been down. over the first quarter, quarter. quarter. Exactly. But, yeah, the stock market's been down over the first quarter, but Bitcoin's been the best performing asset this year. But you know, couple, we got, by, we got to play a couple it out. dollars. I, I get, I, I give you credit on that, Maddie Ice. You know what I'm saying? But depending on where you got your money invested in the market. You know what I mean? We'll, we'll, we'll see. You know what I'm saying? Big tip. Big, big I want to get you your mental health, brother. Not, not oh, your I thought you were <laughs> update or what, man. I mean, I mean my money impacts mental health, health, too, though. You my know? mental health is Maddie's ice crypto. You know what I'm saying? It got me invested <laughs> every week. You know what I'm saying? And that's the only thing that's changed over the last week. My Bitcoin exchange. You know what I mean? But nah, real talk is, um, it's the same as what it was the other day at seven. Um, I still got work, you know what I'm saying, kind of um, tugging away at me right now. So um, nothing major from Sunday. I mean, we three days away. Uh, spring break is happening, so all the kids are home. So makes work a little bit tougher than what it should be. But you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, holding, I'm holding it down right now, trying to get to the weekend. So Okay. Everett, you want to give an update? You got any, any changes? Nothing new. I'm exactly the same. Uh, Even WrestleMania didn't hype it up a little bit. Nah, because I we can't we can't talk about that right now because if we do, I'll be thirty minutes. I have a lot to say. So maybe we'll save that for a different show. Then we'll go ahead and go. All right. Well, I'm still at. I'm about an eight eight point two. I'm happy I got through the food show that uh we we do every year for my company. And made it through that, had a lot of positive things happen for that. So I'm excited about that because it means more money in my pocket. So, you know, uh, so I'm a little bit high. I was at an eight, now I'm about an 8.2, a little bit higher. So, uh, so um, Jamal, so it's up to you now. So got to give a rating between zero and 10, how you feel. So tell us how your week has been and, you know, anything good, anything bad that you want to talk about for your week personally before we get into the interview. Okay. Uh, I will give myself a solid eight. Uh, it's been a pretty good week. Uh, my kids are on spring break too. They're uh, they're down at their aunt's house down in North Carolina. So uh, me and the wife got the house to ourselves when I come home from work. Um, work's been work's been a little busy. I'm getting ready to uh, transition out, make a big change, and retiring after uh, 20 years in the military. So um, you, you know it's it's easy to get in there, but when you get out, you know they got a whole lot of stuff to do. So that's kind of keeping me occupied, but it's for a good thing, and I'm 
me ready to move into the direction that I want to move. So that's giving me a lot of energy and it's making me you know, real hopeful for the future. Uh, so I'm doing pretty good, doing pretty good. Well, we definitely want to thank you for your service here, Dad Mentality. I mean, 20 years doing anything is tough, especially I know being in our armed forces and, you know, it, 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 that that definitely, you get my respect for that and here at Dad Mentality. So let's, uh, I just want to get into the interview real quick. So uh, first thing I want to start is, you know, what made you join the armed forces? Uh, <laughs> funny story. Um, so my sister went to, uh, university of North Carolina in Charlotte and, um, had a little bit of problem, you know, the adjustment to college can be a little rough. Um, my parents essentially financed her, uh, first semester, uh, and we'll just say it wasn't like the best investment. So, um, my parents was kind of pushing me to join the military. So to pay for school, uh, and I had family in the military as well. So I was looking at, you know, different options and stuff. And um, one day, I think I was a junior, my dad uh, talked with me and was basically telling me that, you know, you got to get your educa uh, education, it's important. Um, but I suggest you join and pay for it. And he, he took me to uh, an Air Force recruiter and uh, the rest is history. Okay. So did that work out for you when you went to, into the Air Force? Did they pay for it? Or how, how did that, that process go? Yeah, uh, yeah, they pay for everything so far. So um, I have, uh, so I have a, an, an associate that the Air Force paid for, uh, and uh, you get tuition assistance to pay for your bachelor's and stuff. But they also have paid for certification. So my counseling certification, they paid for. I didn't pay for that, uh, and I got a few other certifications like um, a certified hostage negotiator. They paid for that. Oh. Um, oh. Uh, a couple of different treatment modalities um, that normally cost like a couple hundred dollars to pay for. They pay for those for me. Um, so those resume builders, they they paid for it. So I'm pretty, pretty thankful and grateful. But I have been doing them in a health the whole 20 years. I did security uh, for the first six and a half years. Okay. Yeah, that, that was going to be my ne my follow-up question was, uh, how, but how did you make that transition? Was that something that you just, I mean, you had, when did you decide that mental health was where you wanted to go? 2008, um, I was racked for the second time and um, I was looking at other options. Um, I was gonna actually separate and get out. Uh, look, my first job was security and you know, in the height of the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, you know, security forces was high. Um, like I said, I had, by that point in time, that was my third deployment, my second time uh, in Iraq. And um, I knew that if I wanted to have a family, um, I was pretty newly married to my wife. I think we'd been married for like two and a half years at that point. Uh, we didn't have any kids. So I knew that if I have a family and uh, have some stability and stuff like that, then I would probably do another job. And then... Um, Mental, I, mental health kind of runs in my family. Um, uh, I have people in my family who suffer from um, mental illness. So I've had an interest in it. That was what um, my original bachelor's degree program was in before I switched my major. And uh, kind of found myself as like the pseudo counselor on my squad. Like everybody would come to me with their problems. I was like, let me get this mental health thing a try. Uh, and it worked out. So I was able to cross train into uh, mental health services from security forces. Um, that was, I crossed her in 2009 and I've been doing it ever since. And, um, I just fell in love with the field. The more I did it, the more I fell in love. And I did a lot of things. I got a lot of opportunities. I got to work in a uh, military prison. 
Um, I got to serve in deployed locations, helping the, uh, the troops downrange. Um, I got to work with some of the um, the people who work who work with the Afghan refugees when uh, Afghanistan collapsed in uh, 2021. Uh, so I've got to do a cool thing. I became a certified hostage negotiator. Uh, so a lot of cool things with that. It's opened up a lot of doors for me. Okay. Anybody? Did anybody else have a question they want to jump in with? Or no, you keep certified what? hostage negotiator. That 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 sounded. It was, it was like wow. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Have you ever had to do? Have you ever had to use that training? Uh, real world, no. Uh, well, kind of. It wasn't a hostage situation. I mean, I guess the closest hostage was me. I guess I was a hostage, but um, there, there was a time when I was in uh, when I worked in the prison. Uh, there was a prisoner who was really upset about a situation that had happened, and they called you know, uh, mental health to go and, you know, talk to him, assess him, see what was going on. Uh, it got a little testy, got a little testy. Um, my man was real angry, but, uh, you know, got to use some of my, uh, diffusion skills and I uh, was able to establish a rapport and, you know, we, we worked it out and, you know, he was good, got him where he needed to be. He didn't kill me. So we good, you know? Yeah, well, I guess <laughs> you would call that successful. You're still here to talk about it, right? Yeah. Now, nah, most of that, that was like a one-off too. Most of the time, man, I felt, you know, I felt safer there sometimes than I do outside. Um, yeah. You felt safer in the prison? Yeah. Yeah, that says a lot, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. With your, with your experience, like, okay, so you, you've done things in the Air Force. Is PTSD like the biggest reason that people maybe have depression or need to come and talk to you? What's the biggest reason? Uh, that, that, or the typical or most common, I guess? Yeah, I would, I would say trauma, PTSD, trauma-related disorders are probably, I'd say they're in the top five, maybe number five. Um, most common thing is, and be second behind that is depression. Uh, I would say third behind that is some kind of addic addiction. Um, and when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense because the people, who have the mental health issues will use a substance to cope. We call that maladaptive coping. Uh, and then, you know, substances uh, are chemicals and they alter your brain chemistry so they can cause addiction. Uh, so that's probably the third thing. But then honestly, I would say the fourth thing, and this is probably interrelated to a lot of different things, is you would just be surprised how many people are lonely. Like how many people have issues that stem from just being alone and not having a good social support system. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's. Uh, I can see that. Yeah, and so, that so, so, so being by yourself is a difficult thing. Yeah, well, I mean, when you think about Depending it, on who you are, right? Yeah, when you think about it as human beings, even even the most introversion has somebody. Like they want some form of human contact. They want it on their terms, but they still want some form of human contact because that's how we were created. That's how we're designed. If you look at our brain chemistry and look at how we have, you know, developed from a, uh, anthropologic standpoint, we are social creatures We're we are innate social creatures. Um, a person's mental health is better when they have, a, uh, when they have, uh, some social support and connect with, I mean, look at baby babies literally die. If they don't have that good connection, like that first connection, the most important connection, uh, um, with the parent, with the, the mother. Um, and there's a lot of, 
there's a lot of science behind the the the, the loneliness and uh, failure to connect that has created things that have, that people deal with later on in life. So there's a huge component of mental health care that goes into connectedness. Cool. Well, one of the things we talked about uh, last week on our show was death and how black men, we don't, as black men or just men in general, um, not just to say our race or just us in general, we don't, we don't talk about death and we don't seem to really even have an answer. I mean, I know I don't. So I, I my weakness around death is that both of my parents died when um, I was, well, my dad died when I was 11 years old and my, and my mom passed away in, I think, 2007. Um, but they both died suddenly. And for me, my issue always been around, around death is I, I, I don't deal well with it. You know, I just don't, I don't like to, I don't attend funerals. I don't even like talking about it. Even during last week's show, you know, it, it was, it was tough for me to discuss it is, is like death, uh, death of family members, like a big thing in, in what you do a situation or something that, what would you say to a person who, you know, is like me, who doesn't deal well with death or doesn't have a, a good, um, I guess, a, a good hold on it? What would be your discussion? Uh, well, I, I would, if I were your counselor or therapist, I, I would ask you, why is that? Like, I would encourage you to explore what is it about the concept of death that is so off-putting for you? Um, my guess would be the finality of it. Like, death is done. And with most people who have that aversion to death, I mean, first of all, most people have an aversion to death because the majority of people don't want to die, but um, it's, 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 it's painful. And it, it evokes feelings of loss, feelings of loneliness, feelings of um, things being outside of our control. And it's, it can be really uncomfortable. So I would encourage you to, or encourage anyone to, you know, take that introspective look and figure out what is it about death that bothers me so so because when you have that answer then you can begin to kind of work through it um you know that's the basis of most mental health therapies is getting to that root why and even if you can't figure out the why just beginning to process it with yourself whether it's, it's a sense of danger that comes from death uh, or uh grieving um and a little bit more to talk about men uh i think men have been socialized by society to not deal with death in an emotional way. Um, one of the worst things you can say to a dude is, hey man, you know, stop being a punk, you know, man up. Like I get it, somebody dies, stop crying. You know, crying ain't gonna bring him back. Um, but we gotta have that outward expression of our emotions. But socially, it's, it's not really acceptable. Things are changing, but I still think that that uh, stigma is still there. I think it's especially stigmatizing to black men because um, very few races of men are uh, scrutinized the way we are when we emote because we're viewed as dangerous or unstable. Um, so again, we pick up on these things. We're, again, we're social creatures, so we really pick up on behaviors and what behaviors are acceptable and not acceptable. 
But that's like that, that's that's the topic for my book. Things we don't talk about. Um, yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. I uh, I had to battle with that with my children because with my oldest son, I was very much you know I was young and I was very much like don't cry, suck it up, you know, don't you're not allowed to you know don't do that, you know. Uh, what you crying for? They ain't going to do nothing. And now as I got older, I've learned to allow him to express himself, however he wants to express it. And I give him the time to finish whatever he needs to be do. And then, I, and then we talk about it, you know? And I think that a lot of that has to come, comes with maturity too. Cause I mean, yeah, we, I'm sure we, you know, we've all raised sons in this group, in this group, you know, and we've, We've been sons, so and I, I I got two boys. I got a, a teenager. Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, what would be your? What would be? Well, here's I got a better question. So, my question is: Do you personally have any exercises that you believe in or perform to help people with mental health? Oh, absolutely. Um, one of the first things that I preach and one of the things that I, I just firmly believe in is the concept of mindfulness is older than all of us is older than is older than America. It's, it's something that's been practiced for literally hundreds of years. Um, it has a lot of health benefits to um, lowering blood pressure and cholesterol to just improving your general mood. What it essentially is, is teaching you how to be aware of both yourself and your surroundings being free of judgment and it creates, excuse me, it creates a skill in people to be able to recognize my own emotions, to recognize when I'm getting upset, when I'm getting frustrated and even recognize that in other people. But um, a, a component of mindfulness that I really stick with that I actually practice on a daily basis uh, is gratitude. You gotta have gratitude. Because you have to look at the world from the standpoint of there are a lot of things that are in this world that are depressing. There are a lot of bad things that happen every day. And we live in a society that's going to tell us every day, every bad thing that happened. That's what drives media. Um, But we don't always take the time to practice that gratitude. You know, um, I'm a man of faith, so I do believe in thanking my higher power. Uh, but you don't even have to be uh, a person of faith or believe in a higher power to just practice gratitude. Just, just gratitude for what you got. Like, you know, I'm sitting in this house right now, and you know, I, I, I didn't come from a rough place, but I didn't have this, and I'm, I'm just, I'm grateful. You know, I'm, I'm thankful for it, and it helps to keep me grounded. Um, along with the idea of mindfulness, being able to understand my own emotions and know where I am, it gives me a greater sense of control. Um, and it actually helps me realize that I don't have control. Once you kind of like an old proverb, and I'm, I'm like butchering it, but essentially the control that you get is when you realize that you really don't have control. Yeah. And practicing mindfulness is, um, you know, when I get stressed out or I get anxious about something that is going on at work, well, what control do I have over that? Only thing I can control is me. I can control how I respond to it. I can control how I prepare for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I can control where the environment, but that's it. I can't control other people. I can't control, you know, what happens tomorrow. I can't control that. And when you let go of that, it gives you a sense of peace. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I tell I, my I, kids that all the time. You only can control yourself. And mm -hmm. um, going back to the mindfulness, it is like um, once you are aware that you have choices, um, you have you have a choice on how you maybe either respond to something or you have a choice to react to it. And a lot of times people are reacting um, to it. And it's, it's usually, um, it's an uncontrollable emotional response. So you get angry about it because it's, it's something that it's like a trigger, you know, that, that causes you to feel a certain type of way. But once you, like you said, you're, you can be aware of it and know that, okay, I'm being triggered by this. I, you know, why, why am I feeling this way about that subject? Like you said, and I kind of started learning that and using that tool um, several years ago when I started learning about the mind and how the mind works and, you know, you know, um, the power of positive thinking and, you know, get to reading books yeah. and stuff. Um, yeah, if you don't know your triggers, your wife is the main one that's going to be a close person going to push them triggers. <laughs> just, just what it is. Yeah, and you know, you you said something, Maddie, about um, you said something that's key, and that's control. Like I, I try to explain people, but most people feel anxiety for things that they can't control. Um, but the one thing you can control is you. That is the one thing that you have absolute control over. Well, a generally healthy person does. Um, you have absolute control over yourself and how you respond, and by responding rather than reacting you give yourself options, right? Like you probably got, you guys probably heard the term learned helplessness. Um, you know, you're not falling into that trap because you're not reacting to that anger. You're not having that angry outburst. And when you calm down, you're like, dude, I don't, I don't know who that dude was. I don't know where that came from. You know, you're not having that. You're having that, you know, that real measured response. It's okay to have a reaction and emotional reaction to things because we're a human. That's what we do. That's what, again, that's how we were created to have emotional reactions. But when you have control over it, you're able to express it in a healthy way. And the most important thing is you ain't hurting the people that care about you the most of people that are in your corner. Because when we don't have control, it's the people that we love the most that we tend to hurt, not physically, although that happens too. Right. Okay, no, I, I agree with you on that. I, I, you know, just to tell a little story about my... Uh, me myself and I, I have a cousin that I talked to who's recent, who's recently just now getting married, and I, and him and his fiance they they argue and they fight, and he came to me and he was like, you know, how did you do how how did you go twenty years of this that and that? I said, well, I'm a, I'm gonna tell you the one thing that I learned that I wish I could have talked to myself a long time ago about, and that was that I. I no longer get mad enough that my wife has control. So, cause I feel like if you, if you get up and you punch the wall or, you, you know, break a TV or you do something like that, you're doing something where you, in my opinion, you're giving somebody else that control. Like what can that person say to you that makes you, that's going to make you go and do this. It should be nothing because you have the control. Like you should never give anybody, even my wife, that that kind of control where she's going to make me do endanger myself or endanger somebody else like that. That, But that once you realize that you have that control, that is not, you know, you like, oh, she made me do it. No, she didn't. You did it. You decided yeah. to do it. 
Yeah. She didn't make you do a damn thing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You decided to do it, but you gave her that much control. And I'm not even saying just wives or whatever. It's anybody out there. If you're mm-hmm. out there and you're just allowing your job that much control over you to make you endanger yourself or danger somebody else, you know, that you, you can't still blame the job. That's your decision. You, yeah. you decided to do that. And you decided to give someone or something control. I think that know? also goes back to what um, Jamel was saying also about just how I'm not just black men, but we, you know, that's what we're talking about. You know, that's what all of us are here. It That's how we've been conditioned. Like when certain things happen, like is I ain't let nobody talk to me like that. You know what I mean? So you got to well, respond a certain type of way. Like, and that was how we was conditioned as we grew up. You know what I mean? So yeah. Yeah. Now, but society, I mean, society is that. like, so yeah, well, that's what I mean. You know, yeah, society I mean, has been conditioned and, and especially like, I, I would say definitely in, in, in other communities, um, I've seen it. They, 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 don't grow up the same way. I guess in maybe the environment that certain people grow up, they don't, we don't know how to handle conflict or disputes um, or just anything like that without getting, getting upset. You know what I mean? And, and arguing and different things like that and getting out of our comfort zone because we all have done it. But after, like you said, after you do it, you, you like, you don't feel any better. You know what I'm saying? Like, honestly, you don't, you kind of feel worse especially as I've gotten older, when I do have that moment where I get out of character, I'm like, yeah, you, you kind of, I feel worse. Like Uh how I let them get me there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, manage yourself, right? Like, dang Yeah. Yeah. Why did I go there? Yeah. Yeah. But since society does play a big role in this. So, because I mean, if you think about it, our parents weren't having these conversations amongst each other. One, um, two, there were certain things that are, are, are the generation before us, they went through that yeah. forced this condition upon, you know what I'm saying, the, the minority communities. So because, you know what I'm saying, your outrage or your reaction and, you know what I'm saying, your lack of um, resources we could we didn't have therapists to go to to talk to, mm-hmm. and our parents yeah, didn't, have, they, didn't have didn't have the time. Yeah, to therapist teach. was church, correct. Pray, therapist pray was church. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it was, right? And, and that and, and the thing about it, I mean, that people some people still got mixed emotions about church. You know what I mean? So, um, and, and turn into the Bible, which is not, I'm not one of them, but you know what I'm saying? It's it, it's just that our society conditioned us to kind of hold all of these mental emotions in. And like, even if we dealt with just something as simple as ADHD, when we were younger kids, yeah, we were not diagnosed with that. No, we were not diagnosed with the depression. Yeah. Right. We were, we were told get on an IDP or he needs to fail the grade and do the grade again. Right. So it, it, the society is what's changing and allowing us to have these type of discussions. It's just we gotta communicate to uh, to the our children and the people behind us, like most of you guys are doing. That hey, this is this is a real illness. These are real illness. Depression is real. Anxiety is real. And this is how you deal with it. Um, and I think it's we're still probably a generation or two away from like 
fully releasing ourselves of what what we've been through with it. Yeah, I, I think there's a correlation to um, to income and mental health access. Like, mm-hmm. I think that that plays a lot into it. And you know, our parents' generations. Like, I'm 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 uh, I'm on, I'll, I'll be 38 this year, so I'm technically I'm a, I'm, I'm an old millennial is what I am. Uh, but my parents were were boomers, and so you know they did the best they could. They did what was taught to them. You know, um, a lot of our parents they did the best the best that they could. Uh, but I think a couple factors happened. Like one, the struggles were different. So oh. the struggles that they went through were different than the struggles that we went through as young adults. Um, I remember my pops, you know, would tell me, I like I remember him being so mad. He got off the phone one time. You know, somebody had called him the N-word like at, at, at work, you mm-hmm. know, and that's that's what they had to deal with. And, you know, from my pop's perspective, he had a family. You know, he had a wife and two kids and, you know, he had a good job with good benefits. And that was how we had health care and, you know, had good insurance plans. So, you know, from his perspective, he had to deal with that. And because of the things that they went through for us, you know, that gives us options. So, you know, one of the things that I think to kind of think about is, you know, because because of this struggle and sacrifice, you know, we got options. We could say, no, nah, I'm out. I ain't putting up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely agree. Definitely agree. So uh, my next question is, so for me, the word mental health is something new to me. Is something that uh, I definitely feel like we, as a you know black culture or generation, have really started even exploring that word, or like exploring the things like you know I deal bipolar or you know any of those terms where you're dealing with people who are mentally ill. Um. What is there? Is there anything that you see that's usually like a trigger or something that you notice in a person that would let you know that maybe this person is mentally ill opposed to just having a bad day? Um, there are some things that like stand out. Um, of course, anything that is related to what you call psychosis or a psychotic disorder. So that's your, your um, schizophrenia and stuff like that. Seeing things that aren't there, hearing voices, you know, that tends to be obvious. You see people doing like this or somebody talking to somebody that ain't there. Yeah. That, that, that's kind of obvious. Um, but you know, for the more common stuff, the anxiety, mood disorder, um, body language is real, is real big. You ever see somebody when they're sitting down, they shake their leg real fast and move it up and down. Ain't nothing going on. They, that's just what they do. You know, you call that in uh, in our field. That's that's called psychomotor agitation. Um, that could be a symptom of anxiety. Um, how people interact with others is real big. Like, how are they in their peer groups? How are they with their uh, spouse or partners? How do they interact with their children? How do they interact, um, you know, with their their families and things like that? Um, that's a big one. Like, people's social interactions are are, are really really huge. Um, like how the problems people have. So I know a telltale sign. You ever meet somebody where everything's wrong in their life? Uh, some everybody mistreats them every day of the week. Um, something's always bad. Somebody always did something to them. 
you know, that's a sign. <laughs> that's that's a sign. Like, okay, this, you know, what's the common denominator in all of these situations? Yeah. Uh, I've had that conversation with a person before. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but, you know, eventually you got to you got to look at yourself, brother, you know. You got you got you got to always look at yourself. I've, you know, I've been to you know, I I am proud to say that I have been to therapy. I've been to therapist and yep. oh I, yeah, I'm in therapy now. I got therapist now. You have to. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, is you know, it, we always had that stigma though as a black culture to, to to not be able to say that. You know what I'm saying? Not to say that you need therapy or you need like I said, to me, mental health when we when I was a child or young, that wasn't even a word. Like it didn't exist. Yeah. And um, now that we can, you know, it is a good thing to be out there and be free and say, you know, I need to talk to someone. I need to, you know, I need somebody who can help me make it through this troubling time, no matter what, it, no matter what it is. And you as a, so you as a therapist, you go to therapy. Mm-hmm. Most therapists do. Yeah. Because, because one, you have a bias. We all have a bias. If you try to quote mental health yourself, it, it ain't gonna work. You mm-hmm. need you need that trained person who can give you that unbiased approach and flat out tell you the truth. Um, and that's one of the reasons why, like, like one of the big um, boundaries in our field is, um, you know, you don't you you don't uh, see family members or acquaintances as uh, patients um, because your relationship with them could be biased. It could lead you to have a bias or a blind spot to something. Cause ain't, ain't nothing like somebody, you know, you caught, you confide in, you're telling them about, you know, what's going on and you're processing these things. And they give you that perspective that you just, you just can't get on your own. They give you that perspective. Um, something that, me and my therapist had worked on before uh, we, we had talked about is I was, I was talking about something um, and I was talking about like, you know, I gotta, I gotta do this. I gotta do that. And the demands. Um, and he was like, Hey, it doesn't sound like you give yourself grace. And that just hit me like, yeah, I don't, I have all these crazy expectations for myself to be everything for everybody. Like I'm in a leadership position at my job. So um, my team is uh, over 60 people. So I'm like trying to be everything for them. And then I come home, you know, I got a family I got to be there for. Um, and so that expectation management of myself wasn't there. He's like, you got to give yourself some break. It's fine though. It's like, yeah, you, you, you're right. You're right. I do. Because I'm only human. But that was that unbiased look that I, I needed to hear it. Yeah, I mean, I, therapy is definitely a, it's something that I suggest everybody, whether you're in a great mood or not great mood, um, to take advantage of. I mean, you, you will find out a lot of baggage that you never knew you were holding on to. Uh, I give, I mean, like when I started therapy a while back, uh, I had a lot of baggage from my mom and her expectations and me letting her down. Uh and it creating disappointment. And what I ended up finding out was, is that that carried over into my marriage. It carried over into work. It carried over into everything. 
And one of the root causes was, is, um, especially in my marriage, it was, hey, a female figure that I love, if I disappoint that person, I was harder on myself than the person I actually was on me for disappointing them. Mm-hmm. And, and what it did is it triggered other things for me either not to be honest or whatever, just so that I wouldn't hit the disappointment phase. Yeah, you avoided that. Correct. Yeah. So, and it, and it triggered other things. So, like me realizing that and addressing that, and even letting my wife know that has really changed a lot of one communication. Because it's like now, if you're going to be disappointed, you're just going to be disappointed. Right. But I'm not going to hold on to it. And I'm not going to allow it to control me back to the control to do other things that, would impact the relationship. So, yeah. yeah, that's what's up, man. Look, I, I'm 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 so glad that you are being open and being vulnerable and being strong enough to be vulnerable to share this, man. Because people need to hear this. People need to hear that it's okay to get help. Like this whole conversation, like this. One of the reasons why I was really excited to do this is because this is something that we really need in our community. Um, and you'd be surprised how many black men who I've worked with in my career who have something similar, um, who, who deal with a, a similar struggle about disappointment and it's tied to basically their child, their, their child disappointing their mom. Uh-huh. And yeah. Yeah. It, and, I, and, and one thing I did learn when I was in therapy, and I don't know if this is like a general rule or how general this is, maybe you can answer that question, but it's, it usually always stems back to childhood. Like there's some trauma, if there's some type of trauma in your childhood, it will always keep on reoccurring in your life until you realize it. I remember the day that I was sitting with my counselor and he goes, and I'm telling him all this stuff and he goes, you do realize that you have abandonment issues. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, he was like, look, man, he was like, look, brother, your, your, your dad left you at 11. You saw him that morning and two hours later, they were telling you he was dead. And, you know, and you said to yourself that it, you, shit, you still thought he was coming back. I thought he was coming back till I was 18 years old. And I remember I was, uh, my dad was a huge football fan. That's one of the reasons why I started playing football. Cause I knew if I played football, I'm in this game, I'm doing good. My dad's going to, he's going to show up. He's going to come. And I remember my senior year, I was walking, they was, they had a parent day where, you know, it was your last game of the season. Your parent walks you out on the field and I didn't have anybody to walk me out. And I remember that day, that was the day I realized that my dad was never coming back. And that, always affected me and it's the same thing it affects me now in my marriage and and but now once the day i realized it it was so freeing it was so freeing yeah. because i realized that all this shit i'm holding against my wife has nothing to do with her mm-hmm. because I, that was my thing like anytime anytime my wife would leave i'm, t- I'm not even talking about like not leaving me for good like leaving me to go visit family in Florida or California, every time I knew she wasn't coming back that day or something like that, you know, I get triggered. I get triggered and I would 
drink heavily and do, you know, do anything to, to, to make myself pass out or go to sleep or whatever, eventually, because mm-hmm. I would be panicked inside. And then, you know, I would, I would lash out at her, you know? Yeah. And that's, yeah, that was that 11 year old. That was that 11 year old in you that was, that was terrified of essentially being alone. Let me ask you a question. Why did you name this dad mentality? Uh, that, oh, wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I really, okay. So I have a friend who has a, uh, kind of like a chat thing called, it was just called mentality with men mm-hmm. capitalized in it. Yeah. And he, and he talks uh, very positively on that. And I was like, you know, I want to eat. He, the, the idea of the chat was that we would have a hundred fathers on there and on our birthdays, we would all send each other $5. So you would get $500 on your birthday, but then you had to send five, a hundred other times, but you know, it was a, it was a good thought. <laughs> and we Matty started- Ice, what did that sound like, Matty? <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like a pyramid scheme. It wasn't a pyramid scheme. But I wasn't going to let you out on that one, yeah. It was, a good, it was a good thought. It didn't work. But it was a very <laughs> positive chat, you know what I'm saying? So that, yeah. that's where the mentality part came in. Then the dad part was, uh, so I play video games with a group of men who um, we are very dedicated for grown-ass men to be on video games, but we play every day, and we play from a specific time, and we, where were you on that? Well, we're on that video game, we're talking to each other about things that men and dads don't talk about. We talk about our kids. We talk about our relationship. Like I, I you know, I had to talk my, you know, Al Bans is one of the guys that I play with. Who's one of the, go- the hosts couldn't make it here today. We talk about, he was going through a divorce and, and, you know, and I helped, and, and we helped each other through all that stuff. Like we helped you and we're all very positive. Don't get me wrong. We fry each other in the middle of it when we have time. But it's it's still all positive people who are trying to help. And I've been blessed with a lot of positive people like Maddie Ice, like Vance. Like, I've been blessed with a ton of mature, faithful, God-fearing men, fathers, dads that, you know, I I could pick. I could pick three other people that can be on the show tomorrow that, you know, or whatever, just out of my group. And, and all these guys, we all have groups of the same. Like Matt has group, Vance has groups, his groups who are the same that we, we don't see here. We don't talk about going out here and banging chicks and doing this and doing that. No, we talk about how to uplift our kids, how to make things, uh, how to do things better that, uh, you know, even our parents couldn't, didn't do. And, you know, how to, how to, you know, encourage each other to stay, stay, stay through it when, when things aren't right, you know, and, and that's where I came up with the, that's where the dad mentality came up. The podcast came up. We, we would talk on a game for hours and then we would be like, yo, we should be recording this. And finally we just got on here and I was like, and then it was another thing. I have another guy, uh, the enlightened ones, um, podcast. Um, he's a friend of mine who started that podcast, which is a very positive podcast. They do a lot of sports, but there's still the positivity and the things they talk about on there is amazing too. So I, I wanted to do the same thing. They're a little bit younger. They're actually uh, in their mid thirties, but you know, and we're, we're a little bit older. We're in our mid forties or a little bit younger, you know, whatever. But um, that's, you know, that's the whole thing. And I enjoyed it. And I, and I've been, I've been enjoying it ever since. And I'm happy that I did it because 
it's a, it's really a great outlet. So, and I encourage anyone who wants to do it, I will help you. I will participate. I will do whatever you want to do. If somebody else wants to start their own podcast, I would love to be a part of it. And, you know, even you, sir, you might want to start yours. I mean, you already got the, the uh, things we don't talk about going on. So. <laughs> I would love to be on it. When you do write that book, you know, we, I definitely want to have you back on so we can discuss it. Cause I mean, I, I feel like that book is going to be probably a lot of the things that we have talked about and we can yeah. go over again. So right now the, I, just, I, I, I was going to piggyback on what you were saying. Just when I heard the name dad's mentality, I love the name because I saw it as us as fathers, just like our van was saying, like, we we got to break that cycle. You know what I mean? Um, like, you know, how, how we were, how we grew up, showing our kids it's okay to talk about their feelings. You know what I mean? You know, because I have a son. I have a son and a daughter, but my son is my oldest. And again, like, when he was young, I had him at a young age. I was 18, so I didn't know how, at that time, how to talk to him, you know, just being so rough on him about different things with school. But then as I got older, um, it, it just changed now, you know what I'm saying? We tell each other that we love each other every day. You know what I mean? How you, how you, he, he asked me, we asked every morning, how you feeling today, this morning, dad? How, how was your day? You know what I mean? So we just break that cycle. And that's why I was like, so as dads, we, we teach ours that's coming up how to break it so that they have a better, better mental health than we did. So that was kind of how I, when I heard, I was like, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So when you had told me that you were starting the podcast, I was like, hey, if you need anything, man, I definitely help out, love to hop on. And so here I am. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's evident, like like the the look the, the mental health counselor in me is like is seeing this as this is your therapy. This is all of our therapies. Like this, us doing this, having these conversations is terrible. That's why it's called dad mentality, because fatherhood is an important part of all of our lives. Um, and, you know, you already mentioned, you know, the role of um, ha- being fatherless uh, at the age of 11 impacted you. So clearly that's something that's real important. So this is absolutely like a form of therapy uh, for us to have these conversations. And it goes back to the point I made earlier about, you know, we're social creatures. We're, we're we as human beings. We got to talk and have relationships with other people just to talk and you know, just to, to BS with and, and job with each other, but also just to process life with. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I wish totally I, had, I, I wish I had known that you know, at a younger age, because I would have been, I would have did so much more. I would have did so much more, even for myself and my family. And because believe it or not, I am an introvert. I'm not a big go out and talk to people fan, but I, you know, because I play video games, on on the, on a video game, you know, I'm a I'm a crazy man. You know what I'm saying? I can say whatever I want to say, do whatever <laughs> I want to do. It don't matter, you know. And then and then even for this podcast, I was that's the same way. This is my release because when I you know I'll be man, I go to work. I don't talk to nobody. I don't talk. To, I don't <laughs> care. I I I I get in there and I want to get the hell out as soon as I can. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I don't, I don't have no conversations with people. I got, I got one person out of my, like the whole journey that I even acknowledge his presence. So, you know, other than that, I, but my job is I, you know, I have to sell anyway. So I go, you know, when I go in there and talk to my chefs and the people in there, I have to be this person. But other than that, man, I'm not that person. I don't, I don't like talking to none of y'all, you know? 
I just want to take care of my kids and move on and, and do what I got to do. But it's, it's, it's been therapy to definitely help me open up and actually talk to people. Like I was definitely that dude. If I saw somebody disgruntled, I just walked right past them. I didn't care. I wasn't going to sit there and have a conversation with them. But now I've become, I've become and kind of broken that, that, uh, you know, I do talk to people now. I do talk to them. If I see that somebody, especially, you know, a young man or whatever case may be, if I see that there's, there's something going on there that, you know, he looks like he needs to talk, I'll, I'll listen, you know. But as soon as it starts going to something dumb, then I'll just walk away after that. But mm-hmm. you know, it's, a, it's a good thing. Now, I want to go back to your book. So things we don't talk about. And I know, you know, you want to write the book. and you ain't, you, <laughs> I want you to give the whole book away. But if if you could just give me one one thing that we don't talk about that you're going to highlight in your book and why you feel that that is important to you, you know, I'd appreciate it. So um, I got a passion for uh, mental health, obviously, and then mental health in the black community. Um, one of the things that you know I've observed in my time on this earth, being above the ground. Um, Black men and Black women have a little, we have a unique relationship with each other when we compare uh, us to other races. And so I was really curious as to why. Um, And it always kind of struck me, like even with, with, uh, you know, with my wife, um, there are certain things that, certain ways that I feel sometimes that, you know, I have to kind of check myself on, like, why am I feeling this way? Um, based off this interaction. And I think that it stems from a lot of different things, but I really, I'm, I'm really big in the belief that um, we as social creatures become socialized through society. And that society started from the time our ancestors came, well, the, the American ancestors came um, from those slave ships on, onto this land. Um, and I really think that a lot of, a lot of the, uh, intricacies of our relationship with, between black men, black men and black women can be traced back to, um, the ways we had to adapt to survive slavery. And then as each generation migrated, um, to adapt to essentially the social oppression that we, that our black people experience in the history of this country, it, it it adapted with it. And so the chapter I'm working on now, it's probably gonna be the longest chapter is, you know, we don't talk about our relationship with women. And I, I wanna do a deep dive into our black men's relationship with black women. And you know, why black women, so just as, as an example, me and my wife talk about this all the time, you know, black women are like one of the only races of women that are essentially taught, be successful so you don't need a man. Well, you're absolutely right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and they're taught that by society, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And then in the church, not all churches are teaching what submission truly is, right? So they get the perspective of, I, I need to live without a man and I don't need to submit to a man, Right. When in actuality, you know what I'm saying? When the Bible's talking about submission, he, he's talking about submitting to a God-fearing man that is a leader, leading her God's way. So it's a it's a lot of things. I agree with you wholeheartedly that our society 
the churches and everything is impacting our actual relationship with our own race and with our mm -hmm. own women. Yeah. And, you know, to flip that on his head with us too, we ain't doing what we supposed to do. Agreed. Uh, as, as, as men. And I think, you know, whether you su subscribe to the bi biblical principles or not, um, there's just something to the dynamic between black men and black women that is just different. Um, it's just different. And so one of the things that I'm really excited about that, just doing a deep dive into that. Mm. Well, yeah, that, yeah, that's going to be interesting. It, it, it's, but it's also like society created it, you know, um, help with it. But again, now it's, 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 it's being passed down, you know what I'm yes, saying? From, from from inside the families now. So they don't even have to do it anymore. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I would even say the role of marriage is different. So the marriage that my grandmother had is different than the marriage that my parents had. My marriage is different than the marriage that my parents have. Like, I think that we have to look at how each generation, the relationship between us changes. Um, you know, the, the example I always give is, uh, you know, by not to get too much to my family history and everything, but, you know, my grandmother wasn't treated the best by my granddaddy. And okay. um, I could see how the lesson would be, hey, get your education, get be successful, so you don't have to live like I live. But we have to look at what has happened over that and why why that was the message that not everyone was taught that message, but a lot of women are, um, and you know, that's just one factor. Like, why is it that, um, although it's, it's, it's attributed more to black men when, when statistically is really about the same, uh, across all races, but, um, black men tend to be more sexualized. And so when you look at infidelity and you look at men, you know, cheating and stuff, and you look at what society has told us that, hell, that definitely goes back, back to slavery. Um, I was about to say, I said it goes like so so far back though. Yeah, black families have yeah. been torn yeah. apart since yeah. back then. You know what I mean? So it, it's it's kind of I gonna say it's, it's almost been ingrained in us in in some type of way when something is is repeated over and over and over and over again. Yeah, and then yeah, and then yeah, it's and, it's, it's, it's deep rooted. Yeah, and it's socialized. Like yep. I remember. I remember I, I I didn't think like this at the time, but every now every now and then I listen to the music. Like I was I was a teenager in the late '90s and early 2000s, and I'll I'll listen to the music that I listened to then. I'd be like, <laughs> I used to listen to that. Um, a lot of it I want positive music, and a lot of it will talk about treating women a certain way, and it, and it glorified essentially. I mean, music that today does the same thing, but you know it glorifies the 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 man. Who is sexually promiscuous, but that's what that's what it glorifies a woman being a hoe. Yeah, so. that, and that's what gets pushed out. That's what these record producers push out. That's that's what they the the um, market executives for music are are, are pushing out. Um, it's flipped on his head now. So now mm -hmm. look, it's it's like completely the other way around now. If you look at the female rappers who are at the top of the game, they are they act like the men. You know what I mean? And talking well, yeah. that same way. It's like it's they, they, yeah, they 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 do that crazy. in in their songs, but like like I don't know if y'all remember Sierra got drugged a few weeks ago because she released a song 
I don't remember what it was called. It yeah, was something about yeah, the yeah, women. Yeah, she ain't no one to woman. She got, <laughs> she got this dude who is doing his thing, taking care of his family and her. Uh, I, so, I agree, but they, but <laughs> that's not what they see, and that's not what the young girls are hearing, though. So correct, they may they may be doing that on the back end, but what what they're putting out there, yes. them is but, is is perpetuating. It, you know what I mean? It's, exactly. it's like say, so since we we on the topic of this, I got I got a discussion for y'all. There, how do you raise your daughters? Hmm. Well, I got, I got, I, just, I mean, I have a daughter. I have three of them. Yeah, so me what well. do you, how do you raise your daughters? Well, the biggest issue I have, well, well I, I, first of all, I, I 100% believe in dating my daughter. I date my daughter. Agree. Date nights. I take her out. I show her how a man should be treated. I also teach her how she should be, how she should be respectful. Just because a guy takes you out to a nice restaurant, I don't mean you order the most expensive thing on the menu. And I've also told her, you know, I was like, look, you don't order anything you're not going to be willing to pay for. So don't go in there and order, you know, a tomahawk steak just because you can or just because that dude to pay for it. You know what I'm saying? If you're, if you're not going to pay, you don't know that dude might, walk, dude might walk out on you. But anyway, it's still, it's respectful to... It's just be respectful because if you're just going out and you're just ordering crap, just to order crap, that's going to change the thought process of that man to, towards you. He's going to look at you as, you know, you're just looking for a free meal or you're gold digging or every time you go, blah, blah, blah. Or what you order, he's going to have expectations afterwards. So, you know, if you uh, if you sit there and you order a, a tomahawk steak, then he's going to be expect expecting something afterwards, you know, and... So, but I 100% believe in dating my daughter. The biggest issue I have right now, since we now pivoted to daughters and just our children in, in general is the, is the reverse of being sexually open. It is almost taboo to say I'm straight now. You have to be open to say, oh, I'm interested. I'm, I, you know, I'm, the big word now is I'm pansexual. You know, I, I love anybody, no matter who it is or this, that, and other. The person that is, the, the person that says this straight is looked at as being, um, you know, not open or not part of the cool crew or whatever the case may be, because there's so much out there right now that, you know, the he, she, whatever the, whatever those terms are. So that to me has been my biggest concern as far as when I talk to my daughter, I talk to her about it. I'm like, it's okay. If you like boys, say you like boys, you know what I'm saying? But if you like girls, that's fine too. You know, but I mean, don't be afraid of it. Like you gotta, you, you gotta be secure in, what, in who you are. You can't just fall for anything just because your friends tell you, oh, you need to be open. You don't need to be, you can be whatever you want to be. Just right. like they, they can be whatever they want to be. You know what I'm saying? Well, you, you don't care. I mean, ultimately, why should they care if you say you're, you know, whatever you are? I mean, it's okay, but that that's they're looked at down, down. You know, I feel like that's it's just another agenda down. that's being pushed, though. You yeah, know, that, it's, I it's, mean that that that's that's why I asked the question. Yeah, you know, because because it's because it, it's, it's kind of like how do you address it? I mean, we're talking about black women; they start as black daughters, right? So, how as fathers do we raise our daughters. And I, I definitely think that Rodney hit on some key points as far as dating. 
I also believe that daughters are more observant than boys and they observe how our interaction with our wives are. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I, a I, lot I think, more than what boys do. Yeah. Well, girls develop faster. They, their yes. brains literally develop faster than, than boys. In fact, our, well, there's a book by Matt Reeves um, of boys and men. One of the points that he makes is um, if you look at the education statistics, boys are kind of falling behind, like way behind. Um, mm -hmm. There's an achievement gra gap that's way different. And what, what he talks about, he, you know, I respect it because he doesn't do it in a way that denigrates women because it's not women's fault. Um, he talks about being structures and structures that are created that benefit the development of women more so than of men. But that's kind of a conversation for another time. Um, I, I think that, yeah, I, I hear the agenda thing a lot. Uh, I think you got to put things in perspective. If you look at census information and what people are willing to, to say, um, you know, the LGBTQ, LGBTQ community is nowhere near as, as represented as it is portrayed in media. Agreed. Nowhere near it. And so, um, you know, my, my son went through something like this when, um, I don't know, it was a few years ago, he was in middle school. Um, other kids were talking about it and stuff like that. And I just asked him, I said, do you even care about that right now? Why do you care about that right now? Mm -hmm. He's like, I don't know. The people are talking about it. And I was like, well, like you said, do you, man? And I, and I, you know, I told him, I was like, I'm, I'm your dad. I know you. Like, I've, I watched you come out the womb. I've, mm -hmm. I've changed diapers. You pooped on me. You peed on me, dude. Like, I know you. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 I know the answers to some of the questions that you don't know yet. But you right. got to figure those out for yourself. Figure them out for yourself. But here's the thing. Live your life. Yeah, live your life, but don't live it to other people's standards. Live it to your own. Live it to your own standards. Like, I, I raise you to be respectful, and I raise you to follow rules, so don't do them while you live in my house. Um, right. But as far as the crowd goes, you know, you know what's right or wrong. It's instilled in you. Deep down, you know. Definitely. You know. Definitely, yeah. And I, mean, I think, you know what I'm saying, for our daughters and, and as they come up, it is, it's just being model dads and model fathers and model husbands so that they can see, you know what I'm saying, throughout their, their life cycle, back to what Jamel said, they can see how our marriages look. And that helped with the transformation as it goes forward um, in the generation. So... Uh, we are critical in this phase, especially with the way marriages are right now and the way mental health is portrayed right now um, and definitely improving our children's lives as they move forward. And fortunately enough, we, we, we are in a position to have the resources to get them help when help is needed. Yeah, but I definitely agree. We got to lead by example. Cause mm -hmm. like how you say how we raised my daughter, like I'm fortunate enough, you know, that me and my daughter have a, a awesome relationship and she, and she has an awesome relationship with her mom. So, um, she sees how I treat my wife with respect, you know, do anything for, her, you know what I mean? So that's what she's going to, you know, expect, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's going to be her expectation. She's not going to take anything 
less than that. You know, she's uh, my daughter's 20. So she's, you know what I'm saying? She's had boyfriends and, you know, met a couple of them, but um, she's kind of in her own lane doing her thing. Now she's in school. She's just focused on her. She's um, um, interning at a, um, a school right now. And, you know, just, she's just focusing on her, but she knows what she, what she wants and she knows her worth. So we just got to, you know, teach them, you know, of course, she's still young. She wants to have fun. She listens to all of the music, but she she can separate it, though. You know what I mean? She she separates that. She knows where she wants to go um, in her life. So I think it's just, man, like us being dads and just being that, showing them a good foundation or giving them a good foundation, um, a launching point, and then talking to them, man. Like you said, this mental health and hugging our kids, like, in my household, we didn't used to say, I love you. Like that was like, as I grew up, nobody said, I love you, give hugs, but that's a everyday thing. You know, before you move out the house, love you, see you later, have a great day. You know what I mean? And we made that normal, you know what I mean? And I think, you know, more families should, should, should do that. Cause when that positive energy is flowing through your house, man, it, 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 it is, man, things are a lot smoother when there's tension and anxiety around, you know what I mean? It's yeah, it's not a good place. You don't even want to be at home when it's like that. Think of that as an investment. Like what you just said, you you did showing uh, that kind of affection and telling telling your uh, children that you love them. Think of that as an investment. You're in, you're investing in them. So when they grow up, you know they might not have you know that feeling of um, low self esteem that could impact their mental health in a negative way or low self worth. That could impact their their um, their mental health in a negative way. You know, I three important, super important things that children need to hear from both their parents. I love you is one. Um, I'm sorry, so apologizing when we're wrong, and then I'm proud of you. Letting them know that we have a sense of pride in them and that they've accomplished something. Those are three super important things that kids need to hear. I damn sure never heard I'm sorry. I ain't never hear that from my parents. Not at once, ever. <laughs> right? And I, I have. I have, like, just, like, just... My heard from like, my mom. We, we, we're, we're, we're confessing. I, saying that. I, I told my... I had to talk with my son and told him that I apologized about how I used to get so upset sometimes. Oh, I'm talking about from your parents. I'm talking oh, about yeah, nah. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I have told my son I was sorry. I used to get you know, so upset I, I think I, I I hear it now more than more now that I'm an adult than I think I did as a child. Maybe I just don't remember as a child. I shall remember getting beat though. Uh, <laughs> yeah, now I did deserve it. I did deserve it. Um, yeah, but you know, a funny story about apologizing. You know, we got to be careful with our kids to not be that do as I say, not as I do. Um, my 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 son when he was my oldest son when he was he was younger um he liked to put his little little, little little greasy fingers in my plate and get food and i stopped him i was like did you ask and you know he would say no and i was like you don't reach your hands on people's plate you ask can i have some and i said that i'm your dad more than likely i'm gonna share it with you anyway um he was like maybe four four or five mm-hmm. so fast forward a little bit later i'll come home from work i'm tired he eating french fries i love me some potatoes Grab, put my little greasy hands in his way, get his fries. He looks up at me with his mama. He get this look from his mama. Looked up at me, looked at his plate. 
uh, uh, Dad, did you ask? Whoa. I couldn't say nothing. I couldn't say nothing. <laughs> you could have said something, but you would like to be an example. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I would have said, I would have said, man, I bought them fries. You, like, you just, <laughs> I, I just, you, you keep thanking me and asking me because you ain't buy a thing. So you know, that's what I would have said. Yeah, that's, that's had, what your mama would have said or your daddy would have said. Things. Absolutely. Yeah, I, 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 look, I, I had to eat it that day. I, I, look, I had a choice to make. It like it was. Uh, I got it. I had a choice to make. But I decided to be like, you know what? You're right. I tell you to do that, so I got to do the same thing. And I asked the son, do you forgive me? And he said, yeah. And he gave me the fry anyway, which he better because I paid for it. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, all right. So while we've been sitting here, I, I'm going to go ahead and confess. I had this horrible idea of doing this uh, serial killer draft type thing, and I did not feel that vibe anymore. So I'm going to take my three pages and two, two, three hours worth of notes that I did and throw them out the window, and I have come up with a different game. Oh, Lord. I think we're going to enjoy. No, no, we're not going to music, nothing like that. We're going to just not. We're going to play with with Jamel here. So now I I have sat here and wrote a list of celebrities with problems. Now we're gonna talk about these celebrities, and you get to tell us if they were sitting in your chair, what the hell you would say to them. Okay. So we are gonna start with Kanye West. <laughs> Kanye, Kanye I West. Knew, I knew he was at the top. You already list. knew he was going yeah. to ask about him. Yeah. Kanye West is sitting in your chair, and first of all, would you diagnose him as manic or like something like that? Or where would you feel looking at the things that he do? I do want to say one thing about Kanye West. I really feel that his mother's death was his trigger because before his mother's death and all that, that after that death, and a lot of people said that that, that, that was the person that grounded him. Do you believe in that? Like there are people who are manic that can stay grounded because they have that person in their life that, that can, I guess, not just not control them or keep them at an even pace or whenever they go into these states, know how to make them do these things? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I absolutely do. I mean, we talked about it earlier. It's kind of been a theme and it's just the human connection. He had a genuine connection with someone who we cared about and this person helped him. And I'm sure he had spurts of that at mm-hmm. time, but he was able to be you know, grounded by, you know, his mother, if that's the case. And I, I actually kind of think that's the theory. I'm not hundred uh, percent. Like I can't legally diagnose anybody or anything like that, but um, anybody I haven't seen, but I, I, I suspect that that's the case as well. First thing I will tell him is take your medicine. Yep. Like God put medicine on this earth for a reason. Like God guided the hands of the doctors to create medicine. There is this thing as over medication. Um, but he ain't in that boat. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he, I don't think he in that boat. That'd be one of the first things. And then, um, I would, I would, uh, ask him to have some kind of healthy outlet for some of the things that he does, whether it's journal, he's an artist. So speak through his art. Um, some of the best art we have, whether it's music or there's paintings, uh, whether it's cultures or whatever, it's, it's people who, you know, when they're in a struggle, they use that art as their outlet. So I would encourage them to have a healthy outlet for that. Use medication, 
and um, get some healthy coping and leave the Nazis and the white supremacists alone. Okay. All right. Uh, mm-hmm. Anybody else got to add anything to add about Kanye West? Anything he think he didn't diagnose, or what would so what would he be his diagnosis? If you, I mean, you know, we, this oh, is he, a, yeah, he, he's already said it, and it's clear as day. He's bipolar. I okay. think he's already said it. He has bipolar disorder, mm-hmm. and like you, you see it. Um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with bipolar, but uh, being manic or having yeah, being bipolar or it, it means you have basically two poles. Um, the manic or mania is when the person is. Uh, they tend to be a little bit hyper. They don't get a little rest. That's where you see the bizarre behavior, um, the the em- emotional dysregulation where they're kind of all over the place. Uh, then the other poles when they're down. Um, you typically don't see celebrities when they're bipolar when they're down because they're 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 up somewhere laying down. That's right. actually kind of a dangerous time for them because they still don't have that emotional regulation. Um, but you know, some people can suffer from suicidal ideations and. Um, possibly uh, have suicide during during that time so right yeah, he has bipolar disorder he he's admitted he was diagnosed i think he said he was diagnosed with it um a few years ago maybe a year after his mom died mm-hmm. okay all right sounds like a good uh good one so all right so my uh, the next patient is now you know kanye's leaving the office now the next patient's walking <laughs> in and you you see the pied piper himself r kelly Ha, ha, I, I bark, Kelly. Yeah, so we, we all can say that he has some kind of sexual disorder or what is it called? What is it called when you, you always want to have sex or whatever? I can't remember the, the term for it. I mean, it is. Nepho. Yeah. Nepho, it's another thing. Oh, I can't well, he, it sounds like there is a sexual addiction there. That's a sexual addiction, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think there's a sexual addiction there, but I think there's also, there's also issues with power and control there. Um, some uh, pretty significant antisocial behaviors that he appears to be sexually gratified by. Um, so that's getting more into realms of like sex offender treatment and uh, stuff like that. Uh, I would prefer him to a specialist. That's what I would do. Yeah. <laughs> like, dude, you, 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 need a, you need a specialist and someone who, who specializes in uh, sex addiction. Oh, I know, not sex addiction, but um, sex offender tr- uh, type of treatment. Which there are. There's a lot of professionals who who uh, specialize that. Um, I guess some of his issues may have went back to his mom too. Something. Well, he himself the was sexually of... abused as a kid. Yeah, yeah. he was sexually yeah. abused. Yeah, I'll yeah. be about that. And like the majority of people who commit a sexual assault were sexually abused. It's like it's like all like right at ninety percent of people. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and like usually. I know one of the things they say that uh, whenever a person is assaulted, they usually tend to never grow from that. It's just like me, when I, when I went through what I did with my dad at 11, I have triggers that, like you said, take me back to that 11-year-old. And it's a lot of people that have been sexually assaulted as a child typically don't really mature more than that. That's why they say sometimes that some females, if they were molested or this, that, and the other, their voice doesn't change. It stays, they still have that real kid voice. Uh, is that like a thing? That's something I heard. I don't know if that's something real in, in your in your profession or... Um, I, I haven't heard of the like voice that. thing. It, it wouldn't surprise me, uh, but it's it's a coping mechanism. So that's that's what you're talking about is trauma. When we experience trauma, 
when the undeveloped brain, which is the brain of a child, um, experiences trauma, it definitely impacts the rest of the way that brain develops. Um, and not just trauma, substance abuse is the same thing. So people who use substances at a young age tend to experience the same thing. Um, but definitely with trauma, it, it just impacts the wiring of the brain and, you know, how uh, people form connections with other beings. And it, it just distorts and warps a lot of brain development that happens. Um, so, yeah, that's why I would. I so actually, so yeah, R. Kelly. Yeah, Todd Piper, um, a child trauma specialist, because uh, I, I, I don't work with children. So I, I would have him uh, talk to a trauma specialist, perhaps. Uh, refer him to someone who can do some cognitive processing therapy, which is a therapy that is done for uh, trauma, uh, but also the sex offense uh, treatment. Like have him work with someone who can help him with the sex addiction and sex offense with giving boundaries and talk about those um, recovery environments and you know putting yourself in uh, environments where you're going to succeed and not potentially relapse. Um, I could do some of that, but I don't have that specialty with that. So I would definitely refer him to a specialist. Okay. All right. All right. Now, now R. Kelly gets up, he leaves out, and uh, in comes the next person to come in will be uh, Bill Cosby. What hmm. would uh, what would you say to him? Would you give him society? Huh? Oh, you think Bill was set up? Yes. He these bills set up. You think Bill was set up? I don't know, man. Bruh. No. Y'all keep y'all y'all keep uh, hey brother. That man's about to buy in BC. Yeah, I mean I that man was about that man was about to buy yeah, a major network. Huh? Yeah, yeah, so here I heard here. that theory, but did yeah. they just bring up old dirt? You know what I mean? Or was it just all fabricated? I think I don't I can't say either way I'll be 100% honest I wasn't a lawyer I don't have I haven't seen everything that everybody's seen I'm not accusing falsifying documents or discrediting anybody that came forward right but it was interesting when it went down and how it went down that's going back to the conversation we had last week about how you feel that uh, every every major rapper who or somebody who was fighting against the system in any way ended up dying, being shot, or overdosing, or whatever the case may that may be. You putting Bill it, it, in I, that same I'm, I'm not I'm I'm not like a hundred percent on the whole. I'm not always a conspiracy theorist, but I do believe that there are. Too many coincidences? Yes. <laughs> That's they, what said, I they said the same thing. Um was similar with Michael Jackson. He was about to yeah. purchase, make a major purchase um with Marvel and some other stuff. And then that's when everything came out. They had to drop it, and then Disney bought the rights to it and then yep. relaunched it. All right, we're going. We're, we're, hold on. Let, let's let's see the doc. Yeah, yeah, I'll let the doc talk about yeah. Bill's I mean, I mean, it is a coincidence that you know, thirty women said, "Oh, yeah, he drugged all of us." Yeah, that's kind of. Uh, then I don't know. Just, uh, just like, like Sean Walkers, right? Like fifty. Just, just like the Sean. Like forty something. Just like the Sean Walkers, right? Okay. Listen, what happened with him? 
the quarterback from Houston? I don't know, man. I still, you know, I stopped watching football for a while. I, don't, I have no idea about what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. I, I heard about that. Uh, the, the masseuse situation. Yeah. yeah. And like 30 women came out down Texas. And yeah. Yeah. Man, I remember hearing about that. What was he doing? Soon as now, soon as he was he was up for a contract renewal, and he was saying he wanted to to leave, and then all the allegations came out. Uh, uh, a year and a half later, he the highest paid dude in the league. Oh, I pays attention to anything that he. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I I I think yeah, I, I think for for Bill, you would have to do an assessment to see uh, exactly you know what is the there there, but. Um, you know, one of the stories about Bill Cosby, uh, Hannibal, Hannibal, not Hannibal Burst, um, although Hannibal Burst did go off on him, but, um, uh-huh. uh, man, the dude, he got a show on CNN. He got an Afro. Um, oh, CNN. Kamal Bell, Kamal Bell. Uh-huh. He did, a, uh, I think a, a three or four part series. Uh, it's actually called, we need to talk about Bill Cosby. <laughs> that was actually uh-huh. Um, and it goes into a lot of detail and, you know, a lot of those stories didn't just happen. There were things that. There were allegations that had been there and people had known but swept under the rug because of Bill money allegedly of who he was right yeah and he was and he was also making CBS a whole bunch of money with the Cosby show um and we all know money talks and BS walks uh, but so, yeah I, I I would from a clinical perspective I, I would I would have to do an assessment to see if anything's there the thing I I would definitely focus on is um, the mood swings that appear to happen that people who say he can shift from a high to a low real quick and want to get to the bottom of that. And if that's the case, definitely need to do some kind of mood management therapy, some cognitive behavioral therapy, see what's going on with that. If there's anything further there. Yeah. I mean, so when I say set up, right. Yeah. I mean, exactly what Jamel just said. If it happened, they waited till the prime time to release it to eliminate the power that you about to have. That's what they do. That's 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 that's, that's, that's that is what I mean by setup. I don't mean by setup like he didn't do it. I'm not. That's the game of chess and power. Right. I I agree. That's that's what I'm saying. And that's what I'm saying about the music folk too. I'm not saying that they didn't do certain things or whatever. I'm saying that the powers that be created situations to eliminate their power. I mean, you can say the same thing. I don't, but I, 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 in my word, I got to be evidence-based, but something that I do believe, um, I always go back to like, when you look at when Malcolm X was assassinated and when Martin Luther King Jr. were assassinated, they both were on the cusp of doing something that was drastically different. Um, yeah. I, I can see where you're coming from. Like historically, when you when you look at we'll use Sam uh, Cook. Sam <laughs> Cook, yeah. We, I think MLK is one of the best examples though, because I think we all we all can agree that capitalism rules that it rules everything. Correct. Um we got a voter rights act, we got a uh fair housing act, um 1964, 1965. Uh, 1968, you start to look at what uh, MLK was preaching and talking about. He was going in on the Vietnam War and saying, why are there so many poor people, not just black people? Poor yes, people. he's about and to then, unite minorities. The poor people's campaign. Poor people's campaign. 
And 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 by, by the way, this is a conspiracy. This is uh, COINTELPRO. I don't know if y'all ever heard of COINTELPRO. So the uh, the movie that had uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Yep. Well, uh, Fred murder of Fred Hampton. Um, all of that stuff came out when COINTELPRO came out. So that's a counterintelligence program that J. Edgar Hoover, when he was the head of the FBI, had had because he feared the quote Black Messiah, a person. So. Yeah, they would be set up, and eventually, you know, Fred Hampton was murdered. Um, it hasn't it hasn't been tied that I know of. Anyway, it hasn't been tied to by Martin Luther King Jr. assassination. It hasn't been tied to uh, the FBI or anything like that. But we all know he had tapes on him. He recorded them. He wrote him a letter, told him to kill himself. Mm -hmm. so, yep. Got you. Got to know your history. I know your history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. No, I, I. I, I can see where you're coming from that conspiracy theory. I, I do think there is some truth to that. Yeah, well, last week we talked about it and we talked about, you know, because we all named if, if uh, what artists you believe if they were still alive would uh, have changed the music game. Van said Sam Cooke, I said Prince. Uh, then we had Tupac and Biggie also named throughout the whole thing. Um, Aaliyah was named also. Yeah, I would say Aaliyah was who I would have gone with. Because if you look at Aaliyah's style, she was beautiful and sexy, but she, she wasn't all that sexualized. Yes. When you compare her to like a Beyonce or something, and she, her star was rising. Yeah. Yeah, because she was crossing over. Mm -hmm. she, she was crossing over to the movie industry. Yeah, she. I would say she had She was about to go over. Hollywood, huh? Yeah. She, she, had, she had just about had crossed over yep. at that point, yeah. What, what was she in? She was in the joint with Romeo. Yeah, DMX. Yeah, Romeo. Yeah, that. So she was. She yeah. was definitely a rising star. Yeah, yeah. We good conversation. All right. Well, now, I mean, now I've, I've based. Oh, now I got one more person. Uh, <laughs> Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby leaves the room, and uh, Donald J. Trump walks in. <laughs> what's your uh, What's your diagnosis? What's wrong with Donald Trump? Narcissistic yeah, personality disorder. There you go. That's all it is. <laughs> there you go. Well, that was the quickest one he gave us. Narcissistic personality disorder. Well, I can't diagnose anybody without, without like legally seeing him and stuff like that. But uh, I don't know if y'all remember. I think it was 2017. Uh, George Conway tweeted the DSM. So the, the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual is like the mental health manual. So every mm -hmm. mental health disorder is in that. He tweeted the the page that has um, narcissistic personality disorder in there with the nine criteria, and he said, "Tell me one of these that this man don't meet." Mm -hmm. <laughs> all right. That's all good. All right, so <laughs> got one more before I end the show. It's something that we uh, do a lot here. I don't know if you heard. I'm gonna go ahead and, and give you your time on the island. So, cause it sounds like you're very educated in music and arts and things like that as well. So here's the question. You're on the island. You're only allowed to take three albums with you. And I'm going to tell you- Be with careful. Super <laughs> very careful. Okay. <laughs> so you're only allowed to take three albums with you. What are those three albums? Choose your next words wisely. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, okay, so the first album I'm going to have 
is like, I have a gospel album. It's going to be, uh, I need you now by Smokey Norfolk because if I'm on an island, I'm going to need some inspiration. So I'm going to be by myself. Okay. okay. That, was, that was a safe that's pick. <laughs> yeah. Give him the say. He got the save. That's your only okay. save. <laughs> yeah. That's the only save. What wow. we look like Friday the gospel hour. Yeah. 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 So that's, yeah. So, but that's, but he I got other Kurt ones. Franklin, though. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If he had Kurt Franklin, I would have fried him. Okay. <laughs> we would have went in on that one. I was like, you ain't going to yeah. be on that island talking about stomp. Stop playing with you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know what? The second one, this may be a little bit of a controversial pick, but, um, I'm going to pick, um, and then there was X, DMX. Okay. That's not controversial. That album, is, that album is fire. Like, what are you talking about? So, the, and the way I see it, you know, it, it gets you in, right? It gets you ready to go. So, if I, I figure if I'm on the island, I'm going to be working to get off the island. I'm going to need something that's going to get my blood yeah, that's my going. <laughs> you know, that's going to get me moving. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, I'm with you. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm gonna do just that listen to the gospel joy first, cause don't don't go from that <laughs> yeah. to that joy, bro. Yeah, you listen yeah. to the gospel when you first wake up in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, you look, All you right. wake up to DMX, you are gonna get in a fight that day. That's just <laughs> that's just the thing. Uh, all right, and then the last album. All right, so the last album. I don't know if y'all have ever heard of this artist. Uh oh, here it comes. Know, here it go. Always this mess it. up the this third one. Always do it. <laughs> This is it. So there's this group called the Foreign Exchange. All right. Okay. Um, not sure if y'all heard of them. It's a um, it's R and B R and B and kind of hip hop duo. The dude uh, Fonte Coleman. He sings and raps. He's from North Carolina too. So you know where I'm from. Representing NC. Hey, and my uh, wife from the, my wife from North Carolina. So I'm going to ask, and I'm yeah, going to pick her. it up next podcast. Ask her about. about uh, Ask her about foreign exchange and little brother. She she don't know about them. She don't know okay. about. But um. Oh no, dog! I'm googling it, dog. Google, Google, leave it all behind. Oh, now we'll leave no. it all behind. Leave it all behind in 2000. Yeah, leave it all behind by the by the foreign exchange. Those those are my three albums. All right. Yeah, you 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 got a week. You as a matter of <laughs> fact, you actually got ten days because we not filled with no Easter. <laughs> but I promise you, I promise you this, at least two, Batty Ice probably going to be three because he's going to listen to it. <laughs> listen to it. Listen I know that me and Rodney will listen to the whole album, man. If it ain't hey, right. I'm just saying, it was, nominated, it was nominated for uh, Best R&B Album, uh, I think in, I think it was like a 2014, 15, somewhere in there. Okay. So you know album wasn't nominated. You mean they were nominated? I know the album was nominated for best R and B. Not in twenty because it came out in 2000, 2008. It wouldn't be twenty fifteen. Oh, two thousand. God damn, I'm old. Two thousand eight. Ah man, it's all good. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm just looking at this thing and it looks super suspect, brother. <laughs> it do. It do. Yeah, it do. But oh, this but, time. First of all, these dudes look like Millie Vanilli. Hold on, what do you think of that book? <laughs> I knew you Millie Vanilli. Oh, I, I see the album cover, but I, I'm going. I'm going next one. It looks like some. Look, it looked like oh, that's a white dude. Yeah, it's a white dude. It's a black dude and a white dude. Like Malcolm, Malcolm Jamal Warner and um. I'm going. I I don't know. They made the album. 
Yeah, I you got. I don't you gotta listen to it though. You got to listen to it. I got to listen to it because I mean, I like Lincoln Park. I like all the rock and roll groups, so I, it's cool. Just know what what's the day? <laughs> what, what's the day? Hold on, look, look, Ronnie. Hold we will reconvene this conversation on the sixteenth. Sure. All right, hold on. I'm I'm I'm, I'm gonna play y'all just a snippet of. Don't uh, do it. Don't do it right now. Like, like, all right. Stop playing. We're just gonna be a whole other yeah. I think y'all gonna be surprised. I, I think y'all um, gonna be surprised with it. Yeah, all the seriousness and respect is over. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We all want to say no time. Yeah, we if we can't respect your top three. We might have to throw the whole interview. We might be like, right? Hey, look. Hey, look. Hey, look. though. I'm gonna tell y'all how confident I am. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be. I'm so confident that y'all gonna at least like four songs. Four songs. Okay. Four. That's it. Four. Hi. I listen to whole album. Over under one. Over under one. Over under one. And we'll be, right. I mean, we'll be honest. If I like four, <laughs> I tell you, I don't believe it's gonna happen. But we'll go ahead and uh, we're gonna respect it. For now, we will mm-hmm. get back up. Uh, yeah, you know, especially you know, once you write the book and we have you back on, you know. We, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. you write the book and we he gonna take, you back hey, on. Like, he gonna take forever write that book. Like yeah, you know, yeah, gonna, <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they go get me. They go get oh, me. Yeah, we gonna definitely fry you about that. Uh, fellas, anybody have any closing remarks or closing questions or anything that they want to say before we uh, end the show today? Nah, just thanks, man. Appreciate you. Yeah, yeah definitely. definitely appreciate your service and, you know, definitely on what you're doing for mental health, you know, not just in the black community, but I'm sure, you know, just mental health, period, for all people, because, man, everybody is 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 dealing with it in one form or another. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And uh, if you don't mind, uh, can we go ahead and induct you as our mental health Mm-hmm. Dad mentality, mental health specialist. If we ever have another uh, guest or somebody on here that maybe we feel is in the realm um, that you know you might want to talk to them or not even talk to them, but just be be you know hang out with us and and help you know because we do do we do do things with people who have you know been to prison and they're coming out they're trying to get their self together and stuff like that and we have conversations i do plan on having a conversation with a guy about ptsd who has been gone through it and went through it and you know uh, i think he was army if i remember correctly but um you know how he went through it how he got out of it and stuff like that but you know you just be uh uh uh, guy, I, I'll reach out to you every once in a while, you know, and if you want to come hang out with us, you're definitely always invited. Um, yeah, brother. Of course, man. I, I Look, I accept the invitation. Look, after I retire, I'll have me a beard. I'm, you know, I have my hair going to grow out. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go through something because <laughs> I'm going to be free. So well, I'm congratulations, go yeah. congratulations, brother. I hope you retire and get to, you know, finish writing your book and do whatever it is that you want to do, man. It's all about life and love and family, you know, so um yeah so thank you very much for joining us today thank you for you know being down to have fun and even though you know i came up with this terrible idea about doing this tournament bracket you were still you were still positive about it unlike my co-host but uh you know i appreciate that yeah hey look look, he he, he gonna make y'all do that next time just just get ready 
He's no, got already know. <laughs> the vibe was there. You know, it was it was a thought. Uh, you know, I, hey man, throw it on the wall, see if it sticks, brother. I'm a, put it this way. I'm, I'm just more upset. I wasted all that time writing down all this stuff about serial killers. It was you, not, you and me both. I'm trying to be a good, good. Hey, you know, uh, host. Hey, hey, you, know you know what? You know I what? know Ben Albers was not gonna be prepared for that. <laughs> <laughs> right. He knew we wasn't gonna be. Hey, prepared. Man, you know what? You know what? We should, I might do a bonus episode, dog. We might have to figure this out. Like, you know, you want to get back on. We'll talk about it off the air, but I, I kind of want to go through it just to do it as a bonus episode because, you know, after the whole vibe was here and this, that, and that, I came up with that other idea just off the whim, and I felt like it was way better. So um appreciate all your honesty. Hey, fellas, thank each and every one of y'all. Uh, Producer Ev, I appreciate you being here and everybody uh, helping to, to make dad mentality a part of the thing. Um, Remember, if you want to send us your questions, you can go to dad underscore mentality at yahoo.com. We also have the uh, YouTube page that's getting ready to go up where you can watch this broadcast live. And don't forget, I'll be streaming every day between uh, 4.30 and 6.30. Uh, just putting more content out there. Watch us play games, hang out with us, and just have a good time. Uh, the chat is always live then, too. It's on Twitch. Uh, that is the beast one on Twitch. You can definitely catch me there. And once again, just thank every, thank y'all for everything that y'all do. Thank you for remember, be positive. Uh, I do have a little quote of the week this week, and it is um, when people tell you who they are, believe them. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the end of that. Hey, it was fun fellas. I enjoyed this. Uh, another great episode. Thank you for everything. Thank you, uh, retiring Jamel Garrett, so Sergeant Jamel Garrett, who's going to, you know, enjoy life and have it. And thank you for all your service that you've done. And if I'm ever in a hostage negotiation, I hope they call you. And, <laughs> I appreciate that. I you know, and, that. Uh, you know. But I hope he's not listening to DMX. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, yeah, I hope he's listening to it. Is it the foreign exchange? That's the yeah, yeah, smoky yeah. North for it. Exchange book two eleven. They probably yeah, that worked better. But anyway, hey, thank everybody for here. Another dad mentality episode. God bless you. Good night, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Y'all have a great.